with companies with an IT department, when they're implementing these packages, consider what are you tracking? How long are you tracking that information? And can you get that information back should you need it? Ray and Associates Remote Newark, Ohio studio. This is Unsuitable, a management and financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, tenured business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit and tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. On this weekly podcast, thought leaders and business professionals break down complicated and mundane topics and give you the tips and insight you actually need to grow as a leader and help your organization thrive. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes. And if you want access to even more information, show notes, and exclusive content, visit our website at www.raycpa.com slash podcast and sign up for updates. These days, businesses collect a ton of data, and this data can be used for a variety of purposes, unfortunately, even to commit fraud. Today's guest is Greg Kelly, an expert in cybersecurity and digital forensics and chief technology officer of Vestige Digital Investigations. Greg is here to take us on a journey behind the scenes of our electronic data infrastructure to tell us what we should be looking out for in an effort to keep our data and our organizations safe. Welcome to Unsuitable, Greg. Thank you, Doug. Great to have you here. And uh, this is very timely. So uh, for those that don't know, we are recording this uh, obviously remotely, still in the midst of the the COVID-19 crisis. So Greg, talk to me a little bit about how much more and paramount data security is during this period of time when we're all doing obviously Zoom meetings and working remotely. Uh, talk to me a little bit about, about the extra things that are happening in, in that regard. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, in a typical scenario, uh, an organization has their data, their devices, for the most part, for most of the working day, underneath their umbrella, underneath, you know, their, their roof and, and in their facility. Now you're talking about 80%, 90% of, of your workforce working remotely. You know, um, if you have the luxury, they have company laptops, and hopefully those laptops are patched and up to date. Um, but quite often not, um, it's, it's maybe a home device that someone's using to, to work on. Uh, and so the, the issue becomes is that uh, you don't have as much control as you had before. And, and furthermore, even if you have those patched devices at another location, it's at another location and it's there for a longer period of time. Your uh, attack uh, vector has just increased. Uh, it allows the hacker more time and, and effort to, to do that. Um, okay. Yeah, to, to make the attack. So are, are hackers more active in, in trying to get at these these remote uh, folks that, w- that we're all doing now? I mean, is that easier to do? To, for, for they're definitely taking, yeah, they're definitely taking advantage of the situation, um, whether it's taking advantage of people working remotely or just using the information out there. I mean, think back to some of the, uh, the, the past uh, data breaches. You get an email that says, hey, in order to protect your information, we need you to sign in here, whether it was uh, PayPal email or something else. Well, now we have the CARES Act. We have uh, money right. being distributed by the federal government. This is all additional information for the hacker to use for phishing. And phishing is, is a big game. And that's quite often how these incidents start. 
Gotcha. Just to back up a little bit, talk to me about how you got involved in, in this uh, in this business and how you became passionate about it. Oh, certainly. Uh, so my background is in computers, uh, computer engineer, graduating in the mid-90s, worked as a consultant for a big firm for a while. And then myself and my business partner started off a company where we did uh, consulting for small businesses. Okay. And some of those uh, businesses were law firms, uh, 10, 20, 50 person law firms. Interesting. And it was about the turn of the century, about 2000, we started getting requests where they'd hand us a hard drive and say, can you recover some emails from this? Or we think someone may have taken something. What can you tell? Okay. And we started looking into this new world of cybersecurity and more importantly, digital forensics okay. and realized it was, it was neat. It was a lot neater than, than break fix on computers or even development. It was this new uh, avenue, a new uh, uh, business line. And so that's kind of what, what uh, steered us in that direction. It, it's, it's been exciting. There's never a dull moment. And I'm sure. uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and just staying on the bleeding edge of technology. So when, when it comes to like digital forensics, um, I, I imagine a lot of this revolves around, you know, s- secure data, as you said, that you're trying to recover or that somebody tried to Know, nefariously destroy or something. What what are some of the the things that you see people do uh, that you try to sort of uh, back up and recover from? I mean, I'm sure you see all kinds of stuff out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody's trying to pull a fast one. A lot of times, we see someone trying to fabricate an email. Uh-huh. We see where an employee would get asked, "Hey, did you send did you send this email to such and such customer?" And like, "Oh yeah, I sent that weeks ago." They go back to their desk, they type up the email, change a couple of things, send it off and and alter it in such a way to make it look like it was actually sent uh, uh, when when they were supposed to send it, but didn't. Wow. And, then, and then we examine it and like, well, no, it was actually sent about five minutes after you asked them about it. Um, so we see things like that. We see um, in cases where someone is supposed to turn over a phone or turn over their computer and come to find out two days before they turned it over, they wipe it clean or reset it and, uh, and things like that. So everybody's trying to pull a fast one and, and they don't realize that it's very difficult to do, especially if you don't know what you're looking for. Right. That's where professionals like you come in, right? To help help recover that, that stuff. Well, alleged professionals such as myself. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Very, very cool stuff. So when when you talk about you know we often hear this and I know in our firm we go through uh, IT security training and and things like that. So I, I hear this term mind your electronic data. What what does that mean in 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 your mind? What what can we do to be most aware in that? Yeah, I mean be aware of of the information you have and be aware of who you're giving that information to. If you get an email out of the blue where someone says, "Hey, you need to." For security purposes, you need to sign in and, and verify your password. No one's going to ask you to verify your password. Your password is yours. You use it when you want to, not when someone asks you for it. it you know, I also see too a lot of times on social media, especially now, everybody's home, everybody's bored. Everybody's on social media and they're playing these quiz games like name uh, your top five uh, countries you want to visit or your top five favorite foods. And these, the thing is, is though, that these are all the security questions that you're answering for some of your accounts <laughs> and people are just putting the answers out there. And right. it, it, it takes nothing for the bad guys to just screen scrape all that data and then turn around and, and use it in, in some way, shape or form. 
Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's quite comical, but it's, it's understanding what you have and who are you giving it to. Yeah. Now, in, in today's world, obviously, we're all so, so interconnected and, and there's to a large degree, uh, a lot of institutions, a lot of businesses, we all mix personal and professional on our devices to some degree. So talk a little bit about some of the, the pitfalls that you see with in, in that area, whether it's you know phones, laptops, anything else. Yeah, the, the big issue is for corporations when they need to conduct an investigation or they need to respond to some type of litigation, like even in, in uh, response to a fraudulent activity. If the company hasn't thought about that before, and conveyed that information to their employees, they run against a lot of stumbling blocks where they let them, if, if the device is owned by the company, it's a lot easier at that point in time. But most companies don't own the cell phones their employees use for work. Mm-hmm. So how do you force that employee to give you the cell phone when you didn't set that up in the first place? That's, that's a big issue. You got to, uh, you got to consider that up front lay down the rules and make sure people understand because then they'll stop putting personal data on work devices and stop putting work data on personal devices. Right. And you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things that, that I often think about is, you know, in, in dealing with, uh, you know, financial transactions or obviously financial information that's very confidential that's got to all be tracked somewhere, right? And, you know, I, I often think of people that say, well, I know my bank is tracking that stuff for me or somebody else is doing that. Is, is that always the case? Or, you know, I, I think some folks just assume somebody else is doing it for them and to, to some degree, and they don't always maintain their own records. Yeah, that, that's often a very sobering conversation when we're talking with a client that's stuck in a situation and they think, certain information is being tracked and it's not. A lot of companies fall into the pitfall of, well, yeah, this is, this is being tracked or we can always recover this information. And until you have to go through the situation, you, you don't realize that uh, just by default, like whether you're installing a financial application, you may not be tracking all the information you think you are. Mm-hmm. You can be, but it takes some forethought into it and looking into and saying, are we tracking this information? So with companies with an IT department, when they're implementing these packages, consider what are you tracking? How long are you tracking that information? And can you get that information back should you need it? Yeah. Now, now, what about the, the advent of the cloud? Most, most companies, a lot of companies operate um, all their, their information now is in the cloud. What, what types of uh, differences does that present, both from a security perspective and from a forensic perspective? So from a security perspective, uh, realize that the information in the cloud itself, the, the provider is protecting it probably better than you're protecting your data. Um, that's the, their impetus is, is, is that they, they want to make sure your data is secure. But it's your access of that data. How are you accessing that data and from what devices? So when, when all your files were there at your local, local server in your office, right. you could control who was on your local network. Well, now it's up in the cloud, which allows for accessibility, but you got to make sure you have the right security on it. And again, it goes back to what we just talked about. Are you tracking you know, the access to that information? And so from a cybersecurity perspective, don't fall into the, the trap of, oh, it's secure up there. There's still that door. There's still that door that you got to get to that information and anybody else can kick open that door if you're not protecting it. Yeah. From a forensic standpoint, 
It's realizing that you know, some of my counterparts in the industry talked about the golden age of forensics uh, back in the day when everything was on hard drives and we could recover all sorts of uh, <laughs> deleted data. I think actually now is the golden age of, of forensics because of all the possibilities of what's being tracked, but we don't have that ability. Um, if you okay. have an email in the cloud and it's deleted, unless you have some kind of backup in place, you're probably not going to co- be able to, to say, uh, you know, recover it. Same okay. thing with deleted files. Um, so it's just understanding how things have changed yeah. and being able to change with it. So you mentioned about that with with the backup. So how do you how how have those backup protocols then changed uh, with with the advent of the cloud? What what should companies be thinking about in terms of that? The first thing they should do is look at what is being backed up, how long is it being backed up, and what does it take to get that information back, and and does that fit in with your your goals and your your requirements as an organization? If you need to go back you know, six months for whatever requirements you may have is your data being backed up for six months. And I get a lot of people come to me and say, well, Microsoft must be backing up all my emails. Well, they are, but it's for a just-in-time replacement if they have some kind of a crash. They're not backing up historical information so that if you delete it, they can get it back. It's So you have to consider that and understand, you know, don't assume anything. I guess that's what it comes down to. Look to engage either with your IT department or engage with a professional that knows and helps you understand what really is going on. Um, yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's the big takeaway for, for cloud uh, the, working in the cloud these days. So do you, you would advocate then that companies would, would say test those backups. I, I, I would imagine every so often. Right. And, and you probably find holes in, in what you thought. In doing oh so. yes, definitely. I had, <laughs> You know, brief, brief story. I had a had a client that came to me. This is about five six years ago, and the client's business relied on this database, and the database okay. was stored on their local server. And the owner of the company said, "If this database went away, we shut down the company. Simple as that." Wow. <laughs> and he uh, he told the story that every every uh, Friday they'd have a management meeting, and he'd ask his IT person, "Is it being backed up?" "Yep, database is being backed up." "Is it being backed up?" "Yep, it's being backed up." So they thought they were good. The server had a hardware failure and they had to replace some components. But in that replacement, there was the possibility that the data was going to be reset and erased. And so he turned to the IT guy and he says, well, no big deal because it's being backed up, right? And the IT guy says, yeah, to the same box that the data is on. And so it was a uh, oh no moment. Um, Very luckily, we were able to, you know, recover it. The company went along fine and dandy. But if you haven't gone through the process you don't realize all the pitfalls, all the things you can run across that totally change your view as to what's being backed up, what's being saved, and, and how you're going to go about it. Especially, I mean, dealing with, with ransomware these days as well, too. People think right. they have backups, and well, it's not always the case. Now, we've seen, uh, at least publicly, it seems to me, I've noticed much more of these ransomware type of cases. Is that is that true? Is that becoming more prevalent or I'm just noticing it more maybe? Uh, both, both. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a big business. It's increasing. You know, you have to realize that in order for you to hear about it, people have to report it and people are only yeah. going to report it if they have to. Yeah. Um, you only see the tip of the iceberg as far as what's going on out there, but it's a big business and it's, it's increasing because it's, it's simple and it's shifted now too. It used to be, you know, year, year and a half ago, all they would do is they'd encrypt your data 
make you pay a ransom, and then you can decrypt your data. Now they encrypt your data, they steal your data, and make you pay a ransom not only to get your data back, but also to have them return it and not play it all over the internet. So it's it's big business. It's big business, and 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 the avenues to get at that data are uh, plentiful. Now, so do you? What are some of the tools that that you guys do to to help combat some of these these efforts by the the, the parties out there? So, from a preventative standpoint, again, it goes back to: Are you testing your backups? Mm-hmm. You know, are yeah. are you testing your backups? Um, a lot of companies do the simple, quick and dirty, where they've got a USB drive attached to a machine, and that's their backup. Well, ransomware is going to encrypt that too. Guarantee <laughs> you, you're not providing some kind of air gap or some other kind of security measure to separate that. The, the, the bad actors are actually even going, they're, they're capable now of, if you were backing up to the cloud, as, as they attack your machine, they can use the credentials on your machine to get to the cloud and then take care of your data up there as well too. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's going through that process. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, you know, a, a big change and a big challenge from a preventative standpoint from a, from a investigative standpoint, sure, it's a matter of, you know, how do we get the data back? What are we going to restore? But also, too, a lot of companies have the obligation that they've got to report any kind of um, uh, unauthorized access to their data. And so you got to go through that investigation. It's not just, hey, what was encrypted and, and, and what can we get back? It's what may have been stolen, especially now. Right. Um, as, as I said, it's changed. Not only do they encrypt it, but they take it. Wow. That's, yeah, that's scary. So what are, what are some of the uh, kind of the, the coolest uh, forensic uh, investigations that, that you've been a part of that, that you can speak to? I, I love some of these stories. They're just fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, the ones I can speak to, and unfortunately not, yeah. not a lot of them are, are there. Um, you know, I had, had a neat one uh, years ago It involved uh, insider trading and we were working with counsel for the, uh, the defense in the case Okay. And they want to know truly was their was their client involved in some kind of insider trading, and you know we looked high and low on his computer and found no evidence uh, that he had communicated with the person on the inside at at this organization, and he denied it as well too. Nope, didn't didn't at all. But then we ran across something. So the insider at the company had a unique name, uh, a name such that when you would type it the autocorrect in, in Microsoft Word or Microsoft Outlook would change the name to what it thought was the, the right word you were looking gotcha. for. Yeah. So in order to keep that from happening, he actually saved, you could save in your custom dictionary, like names and words. Sure. That yeah. He saved that name in his custom dictionary. Uh-oh. He found that name in the custom dictionary and it was like, Boom! <laughs> That's it. All done. <laughs> so even even though you think you've covered your tracks, you can't cover them all usually. Right? No, no, you you can't. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Yeah. So talk a little bit about analyzing uh, digital evidence. I know that's obviously near and dear to your heart. So some of the things that that you guys do to to help spot fraud and and things like that. Yeah. So. You know, one of the things we like to do in, in fraudulent type investigations, especially if it's like an insider case, is try and connect uh, disparate data, uh, data from different sources. You know, if you've got someone that's that is basically fraudulently submitting POs and, and having them paid to a, a, a company that they set up, 
maybe you find in, in your human resource data, you're able to connect information like an address of an employee to, to the address of the corporation. And that's, that's a simple one. But maybe you find a phone number for an employee, all of a sudden matching a PO number or mm-hmm. phone num- or their social security number matching like the uh, federal ID number for the company that's getting paid. So it's, it's taking data from different sources and being able to combine that and, and find out, you know, do we have a connection here? And does that lead us to, uh, uh, you know, to what, what's actually happening here? That is very cool. That's cool stuff. So you're using that, those analytics, in essence, as part of your forensic process to, to figure those things out. Yeah, most certainly. Most That's certainly. Things like cool. that, as well as, as well as like the frequency of words being used uh, yeah. in relation to how they typically are in the English language. So there's, wow. there's a lot of analytics you can apply. But in order to do that, we've got to have the data. We've got to have enough data and enough pool of data to, to make those analytics work. Yeah, that is very cool. So, what's ahead uh, for for digital forensics and and uh, in, in this uh, industry in the next couple of years? What's uh, exciting that's coming down the pike, or where do you see things headed? Any any insight into that? I mean, definitely uh, mo- mobile devices and the information that's on them and and the tracking of that. You know, one of the, one of the challenges that we have in the digital forensic world is is with using a mobile device with with capturing data from a mobile device we're kind of limited to what the security is on the device. And mm-hmm. for instance, like iPhones. And for the longest time, you know, it was very difficult to get a lot of data from iPhones. Well, there was just in the past four months an exploit that was uh, revealed regarding iPhones that allows a forensic examiner such as us to, to uh, utilize in order to capture more data from an iPhone. So what that opens up is more tracking information, more location information. So I think what you're going to find are a couple of things. One is the ability to use mobile devices more and more to determine who's been where and, and what they're doing and so mm-hmm. on, which we've always been doing. We've always been trying to do sure. but Now there's more data to do it. But I think what you're also going to see is uh, applications that said, oh, we're not tracking this. We're not storing that and come to find out they are. And it was wow. just hidden behind, you know, the security of the phone. And we, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't see that before. Very interesting. That's fascinating, particularly as we think about, you know, this pandemic that um, is obviously ongoing. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about tracking people and, and where they are because it's it's important uh, in terms of how healthy they are, who they might have been exposed to, who else um, they might expose themselves to in, in terms of potential spreading of this virus. So I can see both sides of that. You know, it yeah, works. I mean, definitely there's a desire to do that and the information's there. It's a matter of just because it's there, though, who has the right to collect it and be right. able to combine it and so on. That's and that's something that is constantly a battle out there. I mean, just because the data is there doesn't mean that a, a certain organization, group or entity has the right to it. Yeah. Yep. That's above our pay grade to figure out, right? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I just deal with it when they've got it. That's all. (laughs) Right. For sure. Well, this is, uh, this is fascinating stuff, Greg. I really appreciate you being on. So thank you. Well, thank you. I I appreciate being on. Always glad to talk about these exciting things. Hopefully next time we can uh, actually be together and I can sample some of the the wonderful Maybach that uh, it looks like you're, you're having. So yeah, certainly. I will. I'll, extra bottle. That looks delicious. So 
Thanks. If you want more business tips and insight or to hear previous episodes of Unsuitable, visit our podcast page at www.racecpa.com slash podcast. And while you're there, sign up for exclusive content and show notes. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Be sure to subscribe to Unsuitable on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us right now, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another Unsuitable interview from an industry professional. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance. 